and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I am your host, Leah Pilkonis. Today, we are going to discuss a new research report that provides insights into construction contractors' perceptions of their current and future business risks and reveals how companies are managing risk differently year over year. Since 2016, AGC of America and FMI Corporation have collaborated on an annual survey of the insurable and other business risks that AGC members consider significant and the various ways that AGC members are managing these risks. Each year's results are presented and further analyzed in a final report. I'm very pleased to have FMI's Ryan Halsam here with us to explain our latest research and the 2019 AGC FMI Risk Management Industry Survey and Report. Ryan, welcome, and thank you for being here today. I'd like to begin by asking you to tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your risk management practice with FMI. Yeah, thank you. Thrilled to be here. Uh, I work with FMI. We are a company of management consulting and investment banking dedicated exclusively to the engineering and construction industry, uh, including the infrastructure and built environment. Um, And within FMI, I I work across many disciplines, but also lead our risk management discipline within our management consulting group. And really what that means is I work with all sorts of architects, engineers, contractors, uh, general contractors, self-perform, contractors around thinking around their risk management function of their business and from a defensive standpoint how to make sure you protect the business from all enterprise risks and from an offensive standpoint how do you think around risk management as a profit center and and i'd like to dovetail that risk management thinking uh, into the strategic plans that i help clients develop as well let's start off by talking about the changing risk environment In our first survey back in 2016, 35% of respondents thought their organizations were ineffective in managing risk. What do the 2019 survey results tell us about how the industry appears to be evolving? Yeah, it's become clear that there's a more intentional focus on the risk management function of the business today versus 2016. Um, It's encouraging to know that uh, those who felt that their risk management activities were not effective or ineffective uh, in 2016. That was 35% of respondents. Uh, But in 2019, that number has dropped from 35% to 19%, meaning that they are being more effective uh, than they have in the past. And looking at that effectiveness, still low at 25%, but that's up from 17%. So we have a far greater uh, number of folks moving from ineffective risk management activities to more effective. And so from that standpoint, we are encouraged, uh, but always, of course, want to see that number go higher. I think executives are more likely to take a proactive approach to risk management, um, having dedicated positions, uh, dedicated committees, uh, dedicated time on the a strategic plan to focus on risk management activities as opposed to just viewing it as a safety or insurable defensive exercise where it may have been in the past. So what have you learned about 
any new tools or risk management practices or strategies that construction firms are using to identify, assess, manage, and mitigate risk? Yeah, it's a good question and one that we continue to push on and, and explore and research out in the built environment. I think one of the things we're finding is not necessarily new tools um, are being used. Technology is kind of an exception, and I'll touch on that. Uh, but it's the fact that there's been tools present for a long time, and we're seeing more contractors utilize those, more organizations utilize tools that were already available and, and maybe using them and leveraging them to a greater extent than in the past. I think one of the key ones we found in the study uh, was conducting formal project risk assessments. And so that's really the process and a, and a resulting tool of identifying and quantifying the risk in advance of submitting a bid and then taking that information should you win the project, if you're awarded the project, and passing that down to the project team so they understand what these identified risks are and then they can develop a mitigation and management plan for those risks. Uh, and hopefully some of those risks are opportunities to increase margin. Uh, another thing that we're seeing an increased use of, uh, again, not a new tool, but increased use of that tool, um, are formal subcontractor evaluations, um, not just around financials, but also on resume, looking at uh, WIP experience, using technologies to analyze schedules um, and forecasting where potential issues might be, um, forecasting for potential delays and being able to avoid those. Um, safety, we're seeing a lot of technology being utilized on the safety aspect of, of firms from their risk management perspective, um, utilizing film on sites to look for uh, potential uh, safety violations or ways that we can actually be more safe than we are. Um, that, of course, has a direct correlation with claims. And uh, if you can minimize, say, worker comp claims, uh, those are real dollars based into the labor burden. And so there's a great profitability lift, margin enhancement um, for some of these activities. I think just the ability to have uh, business intelligent dashboards where you're taking the data of the firm, integrating that, and then um, bringing that to an, an executive dashboard to be able to monitor risks. And we're starting to see some contractors be able to get to the point of not only looking at trending information, but being able to draw insights and potentially forecast future events that may have an impact negatively or positively on their projects. Um, lastly, in terms of one of the tools that, that we found in our study uh, that was being utilized more are captives. Um, and those are becoming far more commonplace today. It's not an exotic risk management tool uh, just for the very big um, contractors, but frankly is available to anyone that is managing risk and, and really thinking around your risk profile. What's the ability to think around your deductibles? Where do you perform well? How can you take on some more of that financial risk uh, on your balance sheet and then leverage a captive for those premium dollars uh, to, again, enhance your risk management function more as a profit center than a cost center? So you mentioned technology, which is definitely becoming ever more present on job sites. How can construction firms resist the urge to chase the next new thing, but instead focus on what makes business sense and not waste money? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the very first spot you need to start is you have to conduct a tech assessment. 
Um, and that really does not need to be an internal exercise by your IT department, but an external exercise. And it's not necessarily just a tech audit, but a tech assessment really looks at what is your technology stack within the company? Uh, what, how are you currently using it? Where do you have overlap? Mapping what that tech stack looks like. How is it utilized? And most importantly, is it efficient? Uh, are people uh, finding that their jobs are becoming easier? Um, or are, are you creating more work for the folks on the field? Uh, simple things like uh, single sign-on. Um, and once you have that tech assessment, step one, then you're able to say, okay, what is my tech roadmap for the future? Clearly mapping out over the next 24 months of where do I want to leverage my technology? Where do I want to get rid of some waste? How do I identify gaps in my current processes and leverage technology as an enabler uh, to help address those? And it also directs your spend. But that, of course, has to be tied with the strategic plan of the firm and the vision of the firm. Where are we going? What is the technology we need? Where I think a lot of firms um, miss or waste money or chase the next big thing or those shiny objects is they skip the steps and say, hey, I need a business intelligence dashboard or here's a great piece of software that might solve this one issue within our firm without thinking of what the, uh, the future usage might be, without thinking where we're going to have third parties or our clients interact with this software, not just internally. And so step one, tech assessment. Step two, developing a, a tech roadmap uh, and a strategy. And then to step three, you start to think around how can we be innovative? Um, where might we uh, take some chances on some different technologies that might differentiate ourselves or potentially disrupt ourselves and our industry going forward? And I think that's where it gets exciting. Um, but it's a, it's a walk uh, or truly a crawl, walk, run, then fly. Uh, path and, and must be dovetailed with a corporate strategy. In absence of a corporate vision and a uh, clearly communicated uh, corporate strategic plan, um, we find a lot of the tech strategies can't be developed, and then you do chase uh, a lot of shiny objects and waste a lot of money. I think we have risk defensively addressed, but what are the offensive options? Mainly, how much money can I make? So, you know, there's not just a single dollar amount for any firm, but different firms based on their different risk profiles all have the opportunity to look at, and I mentioned it before, risk management as a profit center. Um, and we've really seen a great shift in the industry of moving away from risk is just an overhead uh, burden. It is just risk is a cost center for me, procuring insurance and providing a safe work environment. Uh, but really flipping that on its head uh, from how much risk can I take as opposed to pushing risk back to the owner if I'm a GC and then taking whatever risk is left and pushing that down to the subs. Uh, the, the change of philosophy is embracing that risk, getting as much of it from the owner as possible, taking as much as you can um, from the subs, and then getting paid for that risk. And so, for instance, from a GC's uh, point of view, leveraging tools like subcontractor default insurance, uh, rolling contractor-controlled insurance programs, uh, thinking about your deductible levels, um, where do you have good experience, can I raise those, and then take those deductible layers and push them to captives. Um, specialty contractors can do the same thing, um, especially when you have more field labor risk associated, uh, workers' comps, um, liability, um, those are important policies that to take a look at. And from a risk standpoint, how can I charge for the risk that I'm taking? 
and then try to keep that money in my pocket. Um, so lots of opportunity to capture those dollars through proactive risk mitigation and management activities. Um, and frankly, some firms actually make more money on the risk management function of their business than they do on construction fee. So an important thing to keep in mind. I'd like to mention to our listeners that if you access the online version of the AGC FMI 2019 risk report, you'll find a link to FMI's blueprint for risk management in construction, wherein FMI identifies nine elements that should be included in a formal risk management strategy that you might find useful. Next, I want to ask you about one of the top risks of today. For the third year in a row, a lack of qualified talent was the top risk for our study participants. Ryan, can you talk about these results specifically as they relate to a limited supply of skilled craft workers and experienced field supervisors? Yeah, when we looked at the top risks identified uh, today by our survey respondents, 80% uh, listed as the number one issue of limited supply of skilled and craft workers. And the number two top risk of today is a limited supply of field supervisors or field supervision uh, with 44% of the respondents responding to that. Um, these are critical risks. Uh, I do want to mention, but we have been talking about the shortage of labor within our industry frankly, since the 1970s. And, and if we go back 40, 50 years, um, we're looking at the same headlines and the same challenges of our industry. Um, to exasperate this, we lost 1.8 million craft labor workers in the downturn of the Great Recession uh, just 10 years ago who aren't coming back. And there's a war for talent across all industries, with baby boomers reaching retirement age at the rate of 10,000 per day. Uh, thus, we have contractors having to turn down a lot of work, and we have quite a governor on our industry uh, based on our lack of skilled craft workers in field supervision. Um, I think in terms of field supervision, in FMI's most recent talent study, we found that contractors are experiencing a 15 to 30 percent attrition rate, and that's going to continue over the next few years, and most do not have succession plans in place for their field supervisors to address it. Um, so that's critical for organizations to look, especially in their field and craft labors, um, what are the ages of my folks? When are they gonna reach retirement age? What is my attrition rate? Um, how am I gonna replace these folks? Um, ultimately, I think really the question is, how do we augment different parts of the labor puzzle going forward? And the tech movement is all about replacing a carbon-based workforce with the silicon-based workforce. And I think um, attracting talent is always important, making sure that you have technology that attracts the talent from millennials and Gen Zs uh, that we're, we're now bringing into our workforce. And so leveraging technologies, looking at robotics, prefab, automation of processes, manufacturing processes uh, brought to our industry so that we can actually do more with less people uh, in a safer manner, um, hopefully a faster manner, um, and at less cost. So also related to workforce challenges, we know there are concerns out there with changes in company leadership and ownership. How does one tackle this? Yeah, that's, that's a big issue with our, our industry. Succession is something that uh, companies still put off for far too long. The majority of firms do not have a succession plan in place. 
and it takes seven to ten years to execute the plan for a change in leadership. Um, we also find that organizations are looking too much as technical skills, as being a predictor of future success of leading firms, whereas we have found in all our research across many industries that it is around the soft skill development is what's important for leaders. Um, I mean, to be a leader of a company, you have to have followers. And, and so where your technical expertise got you to certain levels in the organization, they don't necessarily make you great managers or great leaders. Um, we found the vast majority of firms do not have a succession place and plan, not only at the top, for, for middle managers. And so it's really uh, about intentionally developing your folks, uh, understanding what your ownership transition plan and options are. For instance, 98% of general contractors are not sellable to a third party, but have to really look at an internal sale to their next generation of leaders or mechanisms like ESOPs. And so I think all those important things are have a plan, you know, talk to experts in the industry like FMI and our investment banking group about what options are there for your um, company, what is the value of those companies, and then how do you intentionally develop your leaders so when you want to step aside, you can, one, take your chips off the table, and two, make sure that the legacy of the firm lives on with the next generation. And, oh, by the way, those folks that are stepping up in leadership roles, do you have succession plans and development plans in place for the people to fill their positions? Continuing with this theme of the future for just a few minutes, with rumblings about a recession on the horizon as part of our 2019 study, we also investigated how firms are preparing for a possible downturn. Ryan, what did you find out? Are company leaders starting to think about contingency planning in that regard, or are they too busy keeping up with their current workloads? Yeah, another really good question. Um, You know, we found 53% of respondents don't have a formal economic downturn plan in place. Um, And so it really starts with, you know, we are busy, but as a leader, what is your highest and best use? And is that reviewing estimates and uh, being down in the weeds on project details or, frankly, thinking around the future of the company, the keeper of the culture, um, how do I position the company for success, uh, not just today, but five years from now, ten years from now? And with more respondents being wary of the economic slowdown, uh, and to be clear, FMI is not predicting a recession, uh, and, and our contractors' backlogs look very strong in 2019 uh, and going into 2020. But how do you prepare for that? Uh, I think a couple of the key things to think about, I do a lot of scenario planning in our strategic planning with clients, and one of the exercises I like to go through is called kill the company. You know, what would it take to kill the company? And once you identify those weak spots or what those Um, external and internal factors could be that would threaten the company, one of those being an economic downturn or recession, then how do you prepare the company uh, in the face of those? So identifying those risks and then coming up with an enterprise risk management plan to address that. Um, Another great exercise um, that that sureties like to look at is cut 30% of your revenue, cut 30% of your margin, and then look at what the company would look like then, structurally from a go-to-business um, uh, go to market and uh, internally with, with your headcount and, and how you would operate uh, working at that 30% less revenue, 30% less margin. 
I think those are critical things uh, to look at as we think about an economic downturn. Um, and I think primarily one of the biggest reasons is we've been in one of the longest recoveries in history. We know another recession is coming. We just don't know when. Ryan, I know that FMI did some follow-up discussions with our survey respondents, and they shared some proactive steps that their companies are taking, and that those tips uh, are offered within the risk report. And I also wanted to mention that within the risk report, there is an FMI back-to-basics listing of six strategies that companies can use to offset the negative impact of the next recession. Our study also sheds light on the apparent growing interest in in-house design, including the perceived benefits and challenges of developing in-house design capabilities. Participants in the last two AGC FMI surveys had complained of incomplete design documents, inadequate risk allocation in design build, insurance and liability concerns, and issues coordinating with design teams. Ryan, what does our latest study reveal? Are more firms developing their own in-house design capabilities? Yeah, this was one of the most fascinating aspects, I think, of the study. Lots of great information, but this was a new risk that popped up on our radar. Uh, When asked, are organizations considering an increase in its in-house design capabilities? In 2018, 38% answered yes. That's a large number in and of itself. Uh, In 2019, uh, 43% said they were uh, looking to increase its in-house design capabilities. So a 5% increase over one year. And additionally, 25% of organizations who have not brought design in-house yet are considering increasing those capabilities in the near future. Um, So a lot of firms are looking at it. Uh, We've conducted a number of interviews. Uh, In fact, ENR ran a cover article in April of 2019 of this year on this uh, exact issue. Um, And so I think it's an important issue to look at. Um, Obviously, uh, there is an issue with contractors believing designs are less complete than in the past, 92%. 92% of our survey respondents say designs are less complete than in the past. And so how do they respond to that? One of the strategic ways they are looking at is bringing design in-house, but that brings an entire other host of risks that need to be considered as well. So there's great benefits in terms of obviously more complete design docs if I control it, Uh, increased communication, maybe fewer errors on the project estimates because we have more complete information, Um, scheduling, team conflicts, change orders, claims, all our benefits. However, the flip side is we have some risks. Uh, Professional liability. Um, Is is the DNA, say, of the contractor versus the designer um, is very different. So are they in the best position to really manage design? Uh, you have those cultural differences in uh, in organizations from design to builders. Um, how does that affect your current relationships with design firms? Um, what are the insurance coverage gaps? And, and do you have the expertise and knowledge to invest in it appropriately? So a whole host of questions, but it is a trend that we're seeing, and I think that we're going to see continue. Um, but there's some inherent benefits and as well as risks that need to be considered. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for sharing your time and talent with us today. AGC and FMI are going to continue to monitor industry trends on a year-over-year basis, and we will strive to keep contractors informed of trends that will help them prepare for the future. 
I hope that you all download and read the 2019 AGC FMI Risk Report. It is available on the Risk Management section of AGC's website. You can log on at www.agc.org slash risk hyphen management. You can stream all past episodes online at www.agc.org slash constructorcast. And please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music. Thank you all for listening. This has been the AGC Constructorcast. Cast.